It's Monday, August 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Is this your Christopher? First, is this your first time on Market? No, Foolery? no, no, no. Okay. It's, it's, I, it's your first time in a while. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, you know, it's a special week here on Market Foolery. Because it feels special. It is special because it's Strategy Week here on Market Foolery. And let me just <laughs> give some background to our dozens of listeners. I believe it was two years ago that the Market Foolery team essentially took the last couple of weeks of August off. <laughs> okay. And uh, and we got some some emails from people who were any combination of sad, angry. <laughs> irate? Uh, th- there was at least one e- email that was irate. So we decided this year, yes, we're still going to take some time off. Uh, at the end of August, but we're going to pre-tape. So this this week we're pre-taping. So we're actually not here. We're actually not here. We're <laughs> okay. pre-taping this. That's why it's Strategy Week because instead of the news of the day, as right. we normally talk about on Market Foolery, we're going to talk about. W- would you say what we're going to talk about is timeless? Um, I I think so. Okay, I hope so. I, I hope so. Okay. Um, but uh, we'll have Tim Hansen in tomorrow talking about international investing. But today we're going to talk value investing with Woo-hoo. you. Because you often identify yourself as a value guy. It is true. Um, so I guess my first question is, um, when I step back and think about the different investing strategies and styles, it seems to me like value investing pretty consistently gets short shrift. It's sort of <laughs> like, it's sort of like, well, yes, there's, yeah, there's that. It's not sexy. It's not exciting. Um, right. One, do you think I'm right about that? <laughs> That that characterization, um, and two, do you think that's wrong? That 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 value investing is not exciting. <laughs> well, no, I think you're right. However, I would say almost all of the famous investors of our time, the ones that are household names, are value investors. So it's an interesting dichotomy there. Um, but it's not sexy because. In general, growth investing, um, investing in companies that have really strong growth and really innovative either technologies or products, it's just more interesting. Um, well, it's in, also more fun when your stock goes up 50% in one year. <laughs> right. Sure, sure. When you get um, uh, five and ten baggers um, like uh, co-founder, chief rule breaker David Gardner gets um, from many of the stocks he picks, that's really exciting. And um, – I actually don't begrudge growth investors in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's a wonderful um, way to invest. Um, but as you said at the top, I do identify um, with value investing personally um, more so. Uh, how do you – let's get to sort of your your approach as a value investor. Um, how Do you look at different industries? Do you run screens? Mm. How do you – go about finding stocks uh, that you think could be a good value? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll take a step back and then I'll answer that. The, the The difference between value and growth, I think it really gets kind of, in a sense, blown up or it's misunderstood. Um, value investing basically is buying a stock for less than you think it's worth, which is basically all investing. No one would willingly pay more for a stock than they think it's worth. So in a sense, all investing is value investing. Where we uh, kind of break down and where it starts to, to, to separate is where, what value investors are willing to pay for. How much are we willing to pay for future growth? Often not very much. 
we're not willing to look into the future too much because the future is unknown. We're willing to pay for things that we know. What are the hard assets of a company worth? What is the current earnings or cash flow stream of a company worth? And then we can look to the future and perhaps add some value into the into what the future is worth, but not too much. Um, so how do I find stocks? Typically, um, I run screens using relatively sophisticated software that we have available um, to us here. But there's plenty of less sophisticated things out there on the internet that, that investors can use. And I put in kind of tried and true value investing criteria. You know, uh, I can say to the software, show me companies that meet the following criteria. Um, typically, companies that are smaller rather than larger. Companies that are selling at low multiples of their tangible book value. That's a fancy way of saying their net worth. Uh, all Everything they own minus everything they owe. We all have a net worth in our, in our own lives, and so do companies. Um, show me companies that are selling, uh, that have really strong balance sheets, lots of cash, little debt. Um, companies that are profitable, are cash flow positive. And I can then play around with all these different criterias. This this great software spits out you know a dozen companies, two dozen companies, and then I just get to work and, and one at a time, knock them down, you know, analyze each one, reading and reading and reading. And more often than not, the, the answer is, I'm going to pass on this one. Um, and then occasionally, you find one that hits. And then uh, Warren Buffett calls that waiting for the fat pitch. And, th- and, then you, and then you can feel confident um, that you found an undervalued stock. Are there specific industries that you find yourself gravitating towards? And if so, what are they? Yeah, I would say absolutely. Um, first, um, this should be, for most investors, I think, it should be something you can feel you understand. So biotech is typically out of my core competence. <laughs> it happens to be a, uh, an industry that also would not really ever have what we call a typical value investment because biotech is usually based so much on future potential of of a drug or a series of drugs. So biotech, even some high tech that is out of my core competence um, and that typically relies on a lot of future growth I would stay away from. So what what, what are we left with? We're left with um, kind of old economy. Back in the internet bubble days, we talked about the old and the new economy. Manufacturing companies, um, retailers, uh, wholesale companies, um, just tried and true, old-fashioned industrial uh, companies, things that if you spend a little time, you can understand what they make, you can understand uh, what goes into, uh, what are the drivers of their profits and their cash flows, and you can make some fair assumptions about the future. If you are a value investor, is part of your process automatically having an exit price built in to your purchase. And I'll use myself as an example. I rarely trade stocks. My trading volume is incredibly low. Mm-hmm. Like once or twice a year, I will, I will make a move. Right. Earlier this year, I sold my shares of Microsoft and I bought shares of Chipotle. Okay. And at no point did I think to myself if chipotle hits a you know this price i'm going to sell it i mm-hmm. just bought it because i i know how i am as an investor and i'm much more likely to just sort of buy things that i don't have to i can take 
the Rip Van Winkle approach that I don't have to pay a lot of attention to. <laughs> yeah. That's why I bought Chipotle. But, I think but, that's completely fair. And, and quite frankly, it's a very foolish way to think about investing foolish with a capital F. Right. Um, um, what we like to see. We like to see buy good, strong companies that have long futures ahead of them and just hold them and, and, and be proud owners of those companies. But is that not your approach? Do you that, buy that something? That is my approach in, in, in certain circumstances. It's more so um, when, I, when I manage the million-dollar portfolio here at The Fool – um, I take more of that foolish approach. When I manage the deep value portfolio, another service I run here, I take more of the other approach where I have what we call an intrinsic value or a fair value in mind for each company we own. And when the company approaches that or perhaps succeeds it a bit, that's when I would determine the company does not have a lot of growth left in its future – doesn't mean the stock's going to go down after right. that. Theoretically, as long as the company continues to produce, the stock could continue to creep up, but it wouldn't be a market beater necessarily. Most of the um, growth or all of the goodness of that company is currently reflected in that stock price. And that's when I would sell that stock and reallocate that capital, reallocate a very important word in portfolio management, reallocate that capital to another investment that has a better potential than the stock I just sold. Can you give me an example of a time when you when you did that and it worked out, or maybe even an example <laughs> of when you thought, boy, you know, I, I thought this thing didn't have a lot more room to run. I sold it a little too soon. Yeah, it's interesting. With, with the way I practice value investing, which is waiting for that fat pitch, you can almost always feel confident that you're going to make money. Now, that's a rather bold statement, but I think my experience backs that up. You can't always say whether you're going to beat the market with that individual right. stock, because it depends kind of what the market does, quite frankly. Um, but I would say my, my track record would indicate that 70, 80, 90% or more of the, t- uh, of the stocks that I purchase are going to be profitable. And those that aren't, I'm not going to lose that much money because I've made sure I've thought about my downside and I have not paid up any drastic amount for the future. So if I happen to be wrong, I don't get hit hurt too badly. So there's really dozens of examples, whether it's from my hedge fund career or, or the, the deep value service here, of where you know you, you, you purchase a stock – it goes up to where you think uh, whether some, very often these companies are acquired mm-hmm. because somebody else recognizes what you saw. And somebody with big pockets, whether it's a strategic or a financial buyer, will come in and make an offer. American Greetings is a recent example. We, we saw that that stock was very undervalued. We came in. We bought a nice uh, size position um, in the deep value portfolio. And the founding family came in and took the company private. Um, for a, a little bit less than we thought they should, but that's kind of that's kind of typical. They want yeah. a good a deal too. Um, another example would be a company like Skechers, uh, which had gone through a lot of controversy because of their toning shoes, and and the business was a little bit of a mess, and their inventory was a bit of a mess, and they were probably going to be uh, fined by the Federal Trade Commission for some false advertising. So that's where kind of the really deep dive analysis comes in. You have to be able to really look at that balance sheet, determine what the true inventory is worth, what is the company going to look like in the event that they are fined by the Federal Trade Commission, what will the profits of the company look like a year from now after all that mess is behind them. Um, This is the kind of work we do. we, we bought that. Uh, it went up to our valuation. We let it run a little bit higher than perhaps um, our 
data or our spreadsheets showed, because I'm notoriously conservative and I know that. Mm-hmm. So I'll sometimes let a stock go 5 or 10% higher than my estimates. And then we sold and we reallocate to something else. At the top, you made the comment about you look at the great investors, the famous celebrated investors, they are value investors, Warren Buffett probably being the best example of that. And this is a little bit off to the side of our conversation about value investing. But I am curious, given your background, given your career managing a hedge fund, you look at who's in the news lately, and it's activist investors, Carl Icahn, Bill Ackman, Dan Loeb. What did what goes through your mind when you see those guys? Do you, you know, if you wake up and you see that one of those guys has taken a stake of some size in a company that you own, whether it's through one of the services you run or just your personal holdings, usually that is accompanied by a one or two day pop in the stock of a few percentage points. But do you view that as just a non-factor in the way you approach investing? Does that bother you? Do you get excited? What is your feeling on those things? I have a lot of feelings because I actually used to be an activist investor. Um, so the the interesting about value investing and, and, and what I call deep value investing is you must be patient because you don't know how long it's going to take the market to realize what you see in the stock. But if you get a little active or activist – you can sometimes move that forward and and have uh, the market come to realize what you've realized uh, sooner, and that's what you know. If you see Ackman take a position or Carl Icahn take a position in Apple recently, um, and they make it public, it kind of gets everybody's juices flowing a little bit. Oh, these really smart guys with really good track records are are saying something, and they're putting their money where their mouth is. And the good ones are not the guys that are just looking for the trade. The guys that are looking for the trade, I have no interest in, in following. Um, the guys who, who would make an announcement on CNBC, see a stock pop 5% and then sell and make a profit. Mm-hmm. No interest there. Um, but the guys who are interested in really helping the company from an operational or a financial perspective, going on the board, which is it, it's very um, time intensive um, to go on a board. Um, and it's it's for selfish reasons, sure, because you have a big stake in that stock. But in the end, if you do it right, it benefits all shareholders. Um, so those are the guys um, that I uh, get interested in. I'm not typically a follower of those guys I, in the sense that if they make an announcement, I don't really jump on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do follow them um, from an intellectual pr- uh, perspective and, and, and to see what they're doing um, very often – their platforms are very similar. We need to cut costs, become more lean, buy back stock, pay a dividend, perhaps divest a piece of the business that is not working, perhaps put some more debt on the balance sheet if the company is under-levered. Um, they're very common threads that run through a lot of activist investing. Um, but especially for value investing, I think the activism really does work. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this. The year-to-date it's been a great year for the market in general, which I have to believe means it's harder to find value. <laughs> Where are you looking right now for value investments in terms of industries? So what specifically when we look at deep value, it is becoming harder and harder. And especially when we focus on the small or even the micro companies. Now, those are not penny stocks. They just happen to be small companies. Right. And there's nothing wrong with small companies. Small companies can be great. Um 
it's getting harder and harder to find deep value investments. And the worst thing you can do is let up on your criteria or change around your process just to find something to put your money to work into. I like my money. I know my, the people <laughs> that follow me like their money. I'm happy to protect it when uh, when times say protect your capital. Be patient. Sit on your cash. Wait for the fat pitch. Don't change your process. Don't change your criteria. That's exactly how deep value investing is supposed to work. So when there are times when it feels kind of like I'm not doing anything, I say to myself, that's okay. This is working perfectly. And and that gets me through. All right. Thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.